Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Got multiple questions this morning, but let's start with this one. Can't anybody around here close out a playoff series? We are getting elimination games, and, and there was one closeout. The Yankees got it done. They swept Minnesota. But Houston's had two chances to close out Tampa. They haven't done it. That series has been home field all the way. They're going back to Houston for game five now. Justin Verlander got rocked in the first inning for three runs. Traded a run the rest of the way, and Houston gets beat 4-1 to one in Tampa. Verlander takes the L. The series is 2-2 going for Game 5. Game That Game 5 is uh, Thursday. Today we got two Game 5s in the National League where the Dodgers and the Braves were up two games to one, and they couldn't close it out. So closeout teams are hitting at about 20%. But Game 5, somebody's got to close it out. This is it. So you got those two games today. All right, let's get to some football, though. BYU getting ready for a really important game. And at the start of the year, you know, we talked about big games and important games. You can look at USC and obviously opening with a rivalry game. And, hey, Tennessee, can they go back there and win a road game? It looks like the worst team they're playing, but it's on the road and there's a lot of travel and how will they handle the environment, blah, blah, blah. So now all those games, Washington and then with the Toledo loss, they're 2-3. and three. If they lose this and drop to 2-4, and four, man, they're big underdogs in against Boise State and Utah State. And maybe they pull one of them out, but it just feels like 2-4 and four could easily turn into 2-6. and That would be a problem. So, need a win now. We're going to listen now to defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki. It's an interesting game because we got two inexperienced quarterbacks. we got a BYU quarterback making his first start. we got a South Florida quarterback who's played in all five games this year. A couple of them off the bench. Got a couple of starts, though. Um, but he's still very inexperienced. Uh, they've had to change quarterbacks. So uh, there, there's a lot of question marks in this game. South Florida does not run the ball all that well or consistently. And yet BYU doesn't good, do a good job of stopping the run, especially on the edges. So what's going to happen? Well, Elisa Tuiaki, defensive coordinator, meeting with the media. Let's listen in. So uh, a lot of a lot of focus on the offense with Zach and all that. But how would you rate how the defense played against uh, South Florida and, and what, what uh, can you improve Toledo on? or, or yeah, Toledo? Toledo? Yeah. Okay, got to rewind a little Nine bit. Nine days ago, whatever. Yeah. You know, there there was uh, we, I thought that we did some good things. I mean, um, you know, there's there's definitely positives to take away. There's the, the negative is the fact that we lost, you know, the fact that we lost. And, and uh, we could have done things differently or done more on defense to win it. Um, thought that we gave ourselves a chance to, to win it at the end. But, you know, if we, if we end up uh, driving down, kicking a field goal and winning, I think, I think it's a different story. We're, we're praising the defense about how we hung in there. we got to be better in the run and all that stuff. But I thought it was a quarterback run that killed us. I thought we made them earn it in the uh, running the ball. And, I just thought that they were a really good offense. You got to give give them credit and, and what they bring. But overall, there's some good things. But you know, just like every week, there's always things to tighten up and improve. What have you done to improve the tackling? You know, we've we worked on uh, specific drills, and you know, it's always kind of you look at you look at tackling, and you look at uh, a lot of it is is uh, there's certain guys that stick out as far as just missing tackles. We've got to give those guys more opportunities in practice to see those angles, to um, you know rally up and make tackles. And so sometimes it's hard in practice because you don't want to tackle and go to the ground, and but you want to try to be- find the best way to simulate that, and that's kind of what we've been working on. In what areas has uh, Chaz really improved in his game in, in his second year with you guys? 
Uh, shoot, Chaz has done a really good job just overall. Um, you know, I think his the physicality of his game has been good. Uh, definitely the mental aspect of his game has been been improving, and, and I think that's been making him a better player as well. But he's you know, physically stronger and and uh, bigger than he has been in the past, and that's always, always good. How do you feel about the depth right now in the secondary? I know that's always an area where you guys are looking to make sure to have enough numbers to, to have that man-to-man coverage. How do you feel about that, that depth in the secondary through five weeks? That's, you know, um, not as comfortable as – I guess it was a question mark coming into the, into the season. Uh, not as comfortable now. You know, obviously you'd like to have a little bit more depth, and so we've got to – We've got to do a, bit, a good job. You know, I think Coach Guilford does a good job with those guys, and, and uh, Coach Hadley does a good job with those guys. We just got to keep them all healthy and, and keep them all in tune. Just, you know, one guy goes down, it changes us completely as far as what we think that we're able to do. And so we've got to make sure that we take care of those players, but also get them prepped and ready to go. Do you like where the morale's at right now, the team? I mean, two tough losses, but it feels still like you guys haven't yet to play your, your best football. Is the, the morale still in good spot right now? I think that's that's always, uh, you know, you have that type of hope for the future um, that, that always helps just to kind of keep the morale up um, I think that uh, you know Coach Ithaka does a great job and the boys all believe in, in uh, you know the, the culture and the system and what we're doing and so we've just got to get get back on the winning ways and, and I think things will things will be better from there but you know losing Toledo and just letting that one slip always always going to be tough it would have been nice to win that one going into the bye week and being three and two but uh, you know it's just I think the morale though has been pretty good and uh, the, the boys and the culture have kind of been doing its job as far as uh, the kids believing and and uh, us pushing in the same direction. What do you make of this USF offense? Because it, se- it seems just from watching them on film and whatnot that this is kind of a very Florida-type team with speed and shiftiness and that sort of thing. Is that kind of what, what sort of sounds out to you guys as well? Yeah, yeah. it's I, I, it's a dangerous offense because um, there, you see so when you're watching film, you see so much capability. You see so many things that um, could have, would have, should have. You know, I mean, they, they drop a couple balls against Wisconsin, and, and all of a sudden the game is flipped upside down. But they've got guys that are running away from guys at, at Wisconsin. You know what I mean? And so... It's uh, those are always the scary ones. It's uh, um, when they start getting in sync and and uh, getting a little bit more on the same page as far as uh, them running their offense. I, I think that they're very scary. And so um, you know, everyone looks at the stats and look at looks at uh, kind of the record and all that, and you're like, oh, they're not very good. But uh, it's just like every other team. I mean, we're you know two plays away from being 0 and 5 right now. You know, and, but everybody kind of looks at us and says, you know, the, the, what they're doing is respectable. And so we've we've got to <clears throat> we've got to continue to play hard and we've got to expect that we're going to get their best game. I thought that they played their best game uh, this last week against UConn and they look they look a lot better on offense than they have in the past few games and so we've got to be ready for their best shot. During a bye week, recruiting seems to take a, a big precedent. What are some of the maybe goals you guys look to accomplish on the recruiting trail You know, the past week and, and did you accomplish them? Yeah, you know, uh, really just uh, coaches getting out, touching bases, and we're a little bit more specific now as far as kids that we're targeting and, and uh, you know, the commitments that we have and room that we have, how many scholarships we have, uh, you know, as far as uh, uh, moving forward with our signing class and how many how many spots we have left and what we're looking for specifically. And so it's when we go out, it's not, a, it's not the same like we do in spring recruiting, but we're a little bit more targeted as far as we're going to see this kid, this kid, this kid, and uh, check up on this one and, you know, see where things are. But uh, coaches were all able to get out and uh, and uh, do that this this past weekend. With with signing only like two months away, I mean, do you guys envision plan- signing a 25-man class? That uh, yes, uh, you know, in answer to your question, yes. But then also it, it comes down to how many scholarships we have left and how many 
uh, spots that we need. Sometimes we end up having fewer scholarships than we have, uh, you know, signing spots, and it just really uh, just depends on how many kids we have that are going on missions and other kids that are, um, you know, that are coming off of missions, and that's always kind of a, uh, you know, something that's just rotating as we go. There's defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki. When we come back, get the lowdown on the game. BYU and USF from Matt Merchell, who covers the uh, USF uh, Bulls for the Orlando Sentinel. And we'll hear from him next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday from 3 to 6 at the Warehouse, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Time right now to talk a little USF BYU football with Matt Merchell, National College football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He covers USF. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Matt, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? We're doing all right. So we're trying to follow South Florida and figure out how good they are. You see them a lot more than we do. How good are they? Uh, well, it's it's definitely been a, an interesting year. I think these two teams going into this week are, are very similar, uh, how things have kind of gone in, in a way. You know, USF came into the season, a lot of expectations. People thought they could contend, you know, uh, in, in the uh, American East, maybe possibly knock off UCF. Uh, but things haven't started out that way, you know. I mean, and they've struggled. They've struggled offensively early on. They've struggled uh, trying to identify a quarterback. Uh, this is a team that now has a lot of que- more question marks than it did have going into the season. And, and you know, they made a change at quarterback. They brought in a number two guy and freshman Jordan McLeod, and uh, they're trying to find ways to kind of bounce back after what was been a rough start. And I think, uh, to me, it, it, it's, it's a, uh, it was a difficult question to figure out just how good this team is because I don't think we've seen them play a, a really good game yet so far this season. So last year they get off to a really good start, right? And their running back, uh, what's his name, Knight, he was averaging like yeah. seven-plus yards a game. Then they go in the stretch where, what was it, the last six, they lose. And his production has been cut, was cut in half. And then this year, what are they, they, they lose their first two. His production isn't nearly as good as it was in the beginning of last season. BYU struggled to stop the run. What's going on with... The, uh, the Bulls' running game, and what can we expect? Well, I think that's been the, the issue right now. You know, this is a team that I, I think was trying to figure out what kind of offense they wanted to be. You know, I know they brought in, you know, Kerwin Bell uh, to be their new offensive coordinator this year. You know, he did some good things over at Valdosta State, you know, an FCS school uh, where they were averaging over 50 points a game. And, you know, people thought this would be one of those dynamic type of offenses. And it hasn't happened. And part of that's been that running game. You know, they haven't been able to get the running game going. Uh, they haven't been able to take advantage of, of, you know, that ground game. I think the offensive line of points has had, has had some issues as well. And I think that's something that, you know, it's definitely got to be concerned. Now, you look at what Cronkite did last week, you know, he had over 20 carries for 148 yards. looked like kind of a return to his, his former self. 
I think that's got to be an encouraging sign for USF because that's something they need to have. They need to establish some sort of balance when it comes to offense. You know, I think they become one-dimensional, which they were, I think, early on this season. I think it, you're not going to find very much success there. So I, I think for them it's important that they get Cronkite going. It's important they continue to, you know, get their offense moving. You know, Johnny Ford was another guy who was supposed to be a dynamic playmaker out of the backfield uh, who could do, you know, not only just running the football but also catching it. Um, and he's been limited. He's been hurt and, and, and hasn't really kind of performed to the way they thought. So, um, again, that's been a big question mark, but something they feel like maybe they can get a little bit of, of you know, maybe some momentum going after last week against UConn. So throwing a freshman quarterback in there with an iffy running game sounds like uh, a little bit of roll of the dice. Just looking at Jordan McLeod's stats, uh, the completion percentage probably isn't what people are hoping for, but, man, he seems to make big plays, seven touchdown passes already, but four interceptions. Does he get baited into bad throws? He forced the ball. What, what's going on with him? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's that's the other thing. When you're when you're a true freshman, it's it sometimes can be difficult. You know, you get into spots where you know make some good, you make some great throws, and then you try to do a little bit too much. You know, and I think that's maybe what you saw a little bit about that. I mean, listen, you know, his his best performance, so to speak, was against you know an FCS school in South Carolina State. Uh, you know, and you look at the fact that you know against UConn, which is not really one of the better programs in the country. You know, he's still through two interceptions. I, I think he had some bad decision-making along there as well. Uh, the one thing he does bring is he, is he does have the ability to run the football as well. He does have some, some mobility, and I think that's something that they've been able to take advantage of. You know, he's got three rushing touchdowns so far this season. I think that's something they'd like to bring in as well. Uh, again, young quarterback, a guy who's going to have to go through some growing pains and some, a guy that they hope maybe eventually will kind of calm down and, and be able to step into that role. It's not probably how they wanted to – to throw him into the mix, I think they thought Blake Barnett was going to be the guy based on what Blake did last year. But, you know, with some injuries and the performance so far, they went with this move because they felt like he gives them maybe – Jordan gives them maybe the best chance to, to, to get the offense moving. And that's, and that's been one of their weakest points, especially starting out, is that they just can't get this offense going. You saw their struggles in the first couple of weeks, you know, against Wisconsin and Georgia Tech. So as of right now, they, they, they're playing a little bit better on offense, but it's always more room for improvement that's needed. So they closed last season defensively, allowing an average of close to 40 points at the, during the big losing streak, and some teams have put up some decent numbers against them this year. But BYU's going to start a quarterback who's even less experienced than the Bulls kid because Jaron Hall, this is going to be his first start, and it's really his first playing time any of uh, note, certainly, at quarterback. He got a few snaps here and there. So I'm real intrigued on how the defense – of South Florida is going to do. It hasn't been stellar, but yet they're going up against a quarterback that has no history whatsoever, which I guess maybe that could be a little bit dangerous for the Bulls, not knowing what to expect. But should we expect a better defensive effort? Yeah, I think what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to put pressure on them. I think they, they it's almost like I said, you, you almost have like a mirror image of, of BYU in a sense if you're, if you're South Florida. You can look at the fact that you know, you started a true freshman and, you know, you see what some of the struggles maybe he's had. And you could say, listen, we got to try to do the same sort of thing. I will, I will say that I agree with you in the sense that when you bring in a new quarterback and a guy who doesn't have a lot of film, you know, we're not talking a lot of college film, 
it's going to be a little harder defensively. I think this defense is going to have to make adjustments as the game goes on because they're not sure exactly what they're going to get from him. And I think they need to go out and kind of take a look at him and, and, and see maybe what some of the things they're trying to do. They also want to see what BYU is going to try to do with him. I don't think they're going to go out there and throw the full array of, of, of offense you know, unless they feel like he can really kind of his grasp it and go out there and do it. So I think this is going to be kind of a learning on the go. I think if I'm South Florida, you obviously want to apply a lot of pressure. You want to make sure that you can get to get to the quarterback. you got to make sure you become disruptive. Uh, you know, one of the things they've done really well so far this season on defense is they've forced a lot of fumbles. they got to continue to try to strip the ball away. They've also got to try to make sure that they can get enough of, of negative pressure, negative plays on him that maybe he'll – throw an interception here or there. Maybe he'll get a little bit pressure too much and he'll throw a pick right there as well. So that's something they're hoping on. You know, they lead the American, you know, in, in turnovers and uh, takeaways with 14. So they're a team that likes to be able to do that. So I think they want to continue that kind of trend, try to force some mistakes early on, and then, you know, try to take advantage of that. If you can get a mistake deep in, in, in territory, you know, and flip the field quicker, I think that's going to be only good news for South Florida and their offense, especially with a younger guy and an offense that's trying to, to bounce back a little bit. So I think that's what they'd like to see happen, and they feel like they can do that. Plus the fact you look at the fact that BYU has issues with running the football as well. So if you can stop the run, force BYU to become one-dimensional, I think it only works in your favor. Matt Michelle joining us. He's a national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He covers USF. They're hosting BYU this weekend. So you get two inexperienced quarterbacks out there. You can make their life harder by taking a penalty and putting them in terrible down and distance. But you can make their life easier with a penalty that extends the drive, gets them out of a third down, gets them a first down. South Florida averaging nine penalties a game. Has there been any particular trend, one area, you know, a lot of pass interference or – a lot of procedural stuff because nine penalties is too many. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it's procedural when you look at things. I think you look at the idea that, that, you know, again, an offense that's struggling, sometimes guys try to do a little bit too much. Guys want to get a literally jump on the thing, uh, jump on the ball. You know, I, I don't, I, I think this is a team, like I said, this is what, what's interesting about the South Florida team is this is a team that people thought would step right in and have enough experience to be able to take advantage of you know, a, a lot of this and, and avoid these mistakes early on. But instead, it's been almost like a team that you're dealing with a whole new, you know, whole new group of guys. And I think that's been the thing that stood out early on. And those penalties have definitely been something that's been a concern because – you know, you shouldn't have those when you've got experienced players. When you've got, you know, guys, upperclassmen who've played before, you shouldn't have those kind of penalties. I think some of that can be attributed, especially early on to who they played. Wisconsin, obviously, is a great defense and obviously was able to take advantage of that. But as you got deeper into this, into this you know, schedule, uh, there were opportunities there. They still made these kind of, you know, mistakes that you, you can't have. And I think that's put them back a little bit sometimes when it comes to field position and stalled some drives out as well. So I think that's got to be a concern. Uh, you know, if you're Charlie Strong, you've got to make sure you kind of avoid those penalties because those are things that are eventually going to come back to bite you, especially in close games. And, and they really haven't been, you know, in, in, in too many close games so far this year. I think maybe the Georgia Tech game is the closest. But when you're in those close games, penalties can be the thing that can really condemn what you're trying to do. So Florida is a hotbed for recruiting. Everybody knows that. It's one of the three states that's recognized as having great high school football. I'm wondering, where does South Florida fit on the hierarchy and the scale for recruits in terms of what they would be interested within the state of Florida? You know, South Florida's done a really good job. You know, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, because of that is the idea that, you know, they've hired two coaches. The last two coaches they've had, Willie Taggart and Charlie Strong, both had deep ties to the state. You know, really had we're, we're invested in the recruiting battles here 
um, in the state of Florida. You know, Charlie spent time, you know, one of his stops was at, you know, Florida, you know, when he was defensive coordinator. Um, and I think that's kind of helped pay off for them. You know, they've been able to get some guys early on and establish some of those, you know, some of those connections, especially a lot with the high school coaches in here as well. He took that with him then when he went to Louisville. In fact, when he was at Louisville and had success, a good portion of his roster was made up of Florida kids. So he's been able to do that really well, even when he got back to South Florida. Um, but it's, as you mentioned, it's a hotbed state. It's a state where there's a lot of competition. I mean, not only are you competing with the big guys with Florida, Florida State and Miami, you know, but now you look at what UCF has been able to do with the success recently. Um, that's helped, you know, that's put a lot more pressure into trying to go out there and recruit guys. I think, you know, what Charlie's tried to do is kind of lock down that Tampa area. Um, and maybe try to get a little bit down in the South Florida area as well. I think that's where you get some talent. They put together some great classes over the last couple of years, and you've seen some of that. You know, some of that payoff. I mean, you know, look at their class coming up in 2020. 16 of their of their 17 commits are from the state of Florida. So he's he's really out there trying to keep that going on. But as it gets harder and harder every year, guys, because more and more you know programs across the country are diving into Florida to try to get some of this recruiting. That's why. Schools like you know, BYU and schools like some of the other programs around the country are scheduling games maybe to come down and play for in, in Florida because some of that is just kind of appeal and see what's going on there. Um, and I think they want to kind of get their name out there when we're looking at recruiting. So um, it, it's definitely got harder, and I think Charlie's done a, a relatively good job with, with doing that. Um, I think any coach they bring into that program, they've had to find someone who can recruit well because that's really the, the secret to success for when you're at a program like South Florida. You know, if I said there were a half dozen schools and programs across the country that always got mentioned when realignment and Power 5 opportunities came up, these would probably be two of the six. Do you hear anything? Is there anything brewing four to five years out? Do you have any level of expectations? Or is college football maybe just going to kind of sail along because everybody's making a lot of money and we're not going to have the upheaval we had last time? Well, I think right. I haven't heard much right now. I mean, I think people are kind of in that spot where everything's kind of you know, settle down a little bit. But, I mean, let's let's look around what's going on in, in college football right now, guys. I mean, college athletics in general, I mean, you're seeing, you know, a lot more going on in the sense of, of you know, uh, like the pay-for-play issue that's going on in California, for instance. You know, I think there could be some changes going on there um, and how maybe the NCAA handles things. You're seeing, you know, Power 5 schools getting more and more, you know, more and more money, you know, generated from not only just TV contracts, but rights and, and online streaming and, and things like that. And I, I think the next round of the playoff is going to be interesting. You know, when the, next, when the contract is up in 2024, 2025, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much money is, is being generated. And I think if a, if a conference wanted to make a, a play or expand, um, you know, you mentioned it. You know, I mean, BYU's always thrown out there. I think South Florida's been mentioned, UCF. Um, some of these programs maybe that they, they can bring in, uh, big viewership television eyes that can bring in, you know, the, the recruiting areas we talked about earlier. I mean, you can get those kind of areas brought in there. So I haven't heard any big move right now. But, again, you know, when, when it comes down to money and if there's opportunities to make more money, uh, it'll be interesting. I think the traditional way of TV with the TV deals that there have been, I think those are going to change. I think you're going to see more and more about this idea of streaming and where can you get some of this content that can be online. And it'll be interesting to see if, if a conference like a Big 12 or, or someone else really wants to expand and they think, well, you know, we could go to maybe a, a, another division, you know, maybe like a, a, a 65 top teams, 
kind of like the Power Five breaking off a little bit, and maybe they want to add a couple teams. So I haven't heard that movement just yet, but, I mean, again, with, there's so much money involved in college athletics and college football. I mean, eventually you think someone's going to probably float that idea once again. Is Florida legitimate? Yeah, Florida, the Gators? Yeah, the Gators are legitimate. The Gators are playing um, some of the best football I've seen them play. And listen, this is two or three years ago. This is a program that I kind of felt like really kind of fell, fell to the wayside when, it, you know, when they weren't playing good football at that point. I think Dan Mullen's done an amazing job. I think this is one of the best defenses I've seen them maybe since the Urban Meyer days. Um, and I think you saw a little bit of that against you know, Auburn. I mean, I don't think Auburn was as good as people thought they were, but they played, you know, Florida's played really good defense. I think this weekend, to me, they get past LSU this, this weekend. I think Florida really can make a case for being the, one of the top four best teams in the country because I think they've played the type of schedule. They're going to play a future schedule as well with Georgia, maybe down the road, that they can continue to make that case. Now, if they lose, you know, again, I still think they're a top 10 team. I, I'm just not sure if they can bounce back from unless they somehow win the SEC. So why can't Miami and Florida State do what Florida's doing and keep waiting for them to rebound? It seems like they ought to, but they don't. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, again, I, I think some of that is, is just catching up. You know, I think in some cases, I think you look at what Florida State has tried to do. Um, you know, they, I think that, you know, the transition from, from, from you know, Jimbo Fisher to Willie Taggart was, was a difficult one it's at times. Um, I think Florida State is trying to, you know, raise money, you know, when it comes to facilities. They're trying to get better facilities. Um, I think when it comes to recruiting in the area, they're trying to improve on that. That's one of the reasons why Willie was brought in, because he had really strong recruiting ties to Florida. They're trying to continue to do that. Um, and, and I also think in Miami's case, again, you talk about coaching turmoil. They talk about guys coming in. You know, Mark Rick did a, a pretty decent job his first couple of years there, but they're trying to catch up as well. They just built a year ago their first indoor practice facility, and, and, and it took them, you know, essentially, you know, fundraising where the coach himself put a million dollars in to build the place. So uh, this is these are programs right now that are trying to catch up. They feel like the ACC network, for instance, will help generate some more revenue, which help maybe get these programs up there as well. So um, it's going to happen. I just think, you know, again, you know, football is cyclical, and I think at some point you're going to have down times, and I think these two programs are trying to find their way up. They have to because they can't let Florida get too big of a gap ahead of them. He's Matt Marcel. He's a national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel covering USF. Matt, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. There's Matt Marcel from the Orlando Sentinel, covers college football. He's a national college football writer and covers USF as well. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, our Pac-12 network analyst, does the Raider games, does the Pac-12 games as well, studio host. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff for the Pac-12 network. Lincoln, next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK reminding you to join Hans and Scotty Friday, October 11th from noon to 3 as Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic will be live in studio to discuss an FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for ED with no pills, no surgery, and no needles. 
DJ and PK welcoming in Lincoln Kennedy from the Pac-12 Networks. The Raider analyst has been in London. He is back with us now on a Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad from $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, guys. I figured since the youths were on a buy, I should just take off to London for a week and <laughs> get a little R&R uh, holiday, as they call it over there. Okay. But I'm glad to be back. What's going on, guys? Well, we're curious. How is the food in London? Because I've heard it's terrible. I've heard the sites are great and the food's awful. But maybe the NFL well, team fed you, so you don't have to worry about that. You know, what, what's interesting when you go over to the for Europe, and especially the U.K., it's just that they don't – they don't indulge us as much gluttony as, as we Americans do. So I, I kept it simple. I stayed with the fish and chips. I'm a big seafood lover, so you couldn't go wrong with uh, fried fish and, and french fries uh, for the most part. But other than that, um, I had a chance to go visit Dublin, which was wonderful. Uh, never been to Ireland before. It was beautiful countryside. Got a chance to see some traditional dancing and singing and a lot of the, the locals and, and hang out in pubs. And I had my first Guinness. Uh, as well as a, a whiskey tasting, Irish whiskey tasting tour. So it was a great vacation. From your perspective, what's the level of interest in the NFL over there? Huge. It really is. Um, mark my words. I mean, I've said it before. And I don't know if I said it on, on your broadcast, but um, there will be an NFL team in London uh, in, in the near future. Um, I, it's going, I don't think it's going to be an expansion. I think they're going to take an existing team and take it over there. And I think what's open, the reason why is because the, the whole Tottenham experience with the new stadium and more importantly, just the overall um, European interest in American football, there are a lot of people over there who still don't understand it. It needs to be explained. It needs to be shown to them. But there are huge opportunities because um, the Raiders have played in uh, UK three times now. And all three times when you go in the stadium, there is an overload of representation, American representation. This time for the uh, Raiders and Bears, there were a lot of Bears jerseys in the stands. Um, and other times I've seen Dolphins, Patriots, a lot of U.S. teams represented. So I think, I think the draw is huge. And, and I think the NFL is going to be over there someday soon. You know, one of the big problems for uh, the NFL has been the cost of stadiums and the fact that you're only going to play eight preseason, ten, maybe with playoff eleven, put a couple college football games in there. But you just there aren't that many events now in Arizona. They've got a grass stadium that rolls out and leaves a concrete floor, which makes doing concerts and stuff like that a lot. Basketball games makes it a lot easier. Now this stadium that the Raiders just played in in this most recent game has a a grass field and a turf field, and they can roll in and out for soccer and football. It seems like if they combine that, we're going to have a stadium in the future that could be doing football one day, soccer the next day, and a concert the third day, and suddenly a billion-dollar stadium doesn't sound like such a crazy proposition. Can you see that coming? You're absolutely right. A couple weeks ago when we were in Minnesota, the first time that we had seen the new U.S. Bank Arena up there, they were, the, the people were telling us they, were, they do anywhere from 350 to 400 events a year, and that includes major sporting events, concerts, and everything else. And I think that's going to be the big draw. As you mentioned, the, the, the Tottenham Stadium over in the U.K., yes, it does serve their, their soccer team as well as professional football. And just imagine this, because I think this is the way it's going to play out. You know, uh, let's just say that because the, the, the owner of, of the Jaguars owns a soccer team, if he moves the Jaguars over to London, you'll have teams that will play there for you'll, – you'll have the Jaguars basically hoping, hosting a month 
of um, football games. Teams that come over there will have the bye afterwards, and then you have the Jaguars that come back to the States, as we've seen with other teams this year, sort of travel around like when East Coast trips, most notably uh, the 49ers, when they had an East Coast trip, they played Tampa Bay, and then they, the next week they played uh, Cincinnati. They didn't fly back to San Francisco. They, uh, they stayed over the East Coast. They actually moved from Tampa Bay to Ohio. The Raiders did it last year when they played the two Florida teams. They just stayed down there. The NFL is opening up and showing that this can work more and more, and that's why you're eventually going to have a team over in the U.K. So last time we talked to you about the Pac-12, I was all in on Washington. Now I'm dropping them, man. I was so disappointed in their effort the other night that I thought that they were onto something, and then they just totally lay an egg. I mean, I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about the competitiveness of, of the conference. I mean, it's see, I think we get spoiled and when we see such dominance dominance, especially, you know, you know, talked about on TV with the SEC and other conferences where you're just used to these teams winning. It's not that simple. It's hard to win on a competitive level. And any given day, it doesn't matter if it's Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Thursday, whatever it is, any given day, anybody can beat anyone. I've always believed that. If you don't have your A game, you'll get yourself smashed in the head. And that's exactly what happened when Washington went down to Stanford. So... Who's the latest hot team that you really believe in? I mean, it's easy to look at the standings and say Oregon, but is it just we're just walking right over the trap door and we're going to fall through the floor the second we buy into the Ducks? That's exactly right, and that's why I've always been up in arms about preseason polls. You just don't know, especially when you get into the thick of things. There is no hot team. Everybody is vulnerable. It doesn't matter who you're talking about, whether it's, you know, a couple weeks ago it was Arizona State, then Colorado beats them. I mean, it just doesn't matter. And it's going to go like that throughout the year, especially for this conference. And as an analyst, I appreciate it because it gives you more fodder to talk about. It gives you more stuff to be able to break down why this fell apart, why this team had a good day versus the other one that didn't. But as a fan and a national fan, it's hard to put in perspective because all you see is that these other teams knocking each other off here and there. You talk about Wazoo for a moment, you talk about Oregon for a moment, Washington for a moment, you go down south, you talk about SC for a moment, you talk about ASU, you talk about Utah, and then all of a sudden they have a premier national televised game and they end up getting beat. And so the national audience you know, hits their hand on their head like, oh my gosh, they're not as good as, they, as we thought they were. Let's turn this crap off, especially we're staying up late at night. But when all is said and done, however the dust settles on this conference, you're going to see two good teams that fought hard all season long that are going to play each other for the Pac-12 championship. And I hope, I hope that championship represents a little bit of a national prominence because it's just not going to be given to them. They're going to have to definitely earn it. So Washington State had to buy last week too, and we last saw Mike Leach after they just got destroyed by the Utes here in Salt Lake. He's talking about how his team, I think there was uh, fat, stupid, fat, happy, lazy, yeah, soft, and, 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 <laughs> exactly. and entitled. And it seems yeah. like when they win, Leach gets a ton of credit. And when they lose, these guys suck. And as a former player, where do you stand on a coach coming out and saying what he says like that? In this day and age, you've got to be exceptionally uh, uh, careful, especially careful um, is a better choice, um, when you say this. I, I remember back in 2003 um, playing with the Raiders after we came back from the Super Bowl, and we had a very high-penalized game. Bill Callahan had a press conference. He was the head coach at the time, and he said, we've got to be the dumbest team in America. <laughs> and in the locker room, I had several notable players, I won't mention her name, who just said, I'm done and they shut it down for the rest of the year. You have to be careful 
because in this day and age, these athletes are especially sensitive to the words and, and what they see in the press and the way people, you know, uh, associate themselves with, with one another. And I say that because, you know, Wazoo is very capable of shutting it down. And we can laugh at the press. I mean, as a former Husky, I'll just say every day that they cooked it, they cooked it, they cooked it. But we also know that they had, a, they had an imperfect system where they seem like gangbusters and, and before, late in the season, they fall apart. Well, that happens to quite a few teams. But most notably, you know, over the past couple of years, Wazoo, you know, Leach has got to be very careful. He's a smart man, a little bit odd, but he's a smart man um, and when he's addressing these things because if his team just turns – the notable players, the big key players, if they just turn around and be like, you know what, I'm done, I'm, I'm checking out, I'm just going to get through college and go my separate way, this could be a disastrous season for, for the Cougs. So I buy everything you just said there, but I also think he's right. They should have never gotten outscored 50-14 to 14 by UCLA at the end of the game. They shouldn't have gotten outscored 24 to nothing by Utah at the end of the game. If they turn that around, you look at the way things set up. They lost to two teams in the South. If they right. were to not coog it, in your words, if they were to <laughs> if they were to do what the Utes did last year and start zero two, if they were to win six of seven, or if they were to win out, they'd need someone to give Oregon a loss. But other than that, they'd have the tiebreaker on everybody in the North. So it's not out of the realm to have them winning the North, given the way their schedule sets up. If they just get dialed in and stop rolling over when there's a little adversity in a game. Because if you just look at the scoreboard, even the most sensitive player would have to say, yeah, we got to be doing better than that. That was awful. Well, you're absolutely right. But just like most coaching decisions, whether whatever level you're talking about, when it works, you look like a genius. When you fails, you look like an ass. Simple as that. And there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I totally agree with you. There's, there is – there's something to be said when a coach comes out and addresses his team and says that we've got to be better, and it is extremely critical of them. But at the same point, when you watch the when you watch how these players today most notably respond to social media, you've got guys who, who get in Twitter arguments with one another when somebody's criticized. You have to know that they're ultra sensitive to these types of, uh, of criticisms. And, and, you know, I, I'm not in the locker room to where it's like, hey, man, let's overlook this. Let's pick it up. And I don't know if they have somebody in that locker room or in those locker rooms that would say that. But I've seen more times than not players cower and go the other way than respond to be like, take it as a challenge that I need to be better. So as far as the Utes going forward, you know, they had that clunker against SC, and then they played extremely well against Washington State. Tyler Huntley was right. brilliant. Then they have the bye. Now they got Oregon State this week, and I want your reaction to what I'm about to say. I don't think they're where they want to be because obviously you'd want to be 2-0 and and undefeated overall. But I'm thinking where they're right where they need to be, and they're still on track to win the South. My biggest criticism since we've been doing this stuff together for the Utes is how they finish in the month of October. You know what I mean? We've seen them fall apart, have everything lined up right where they want, and then for some reason at the end of October, you know, early November, whatever, however it goes, they fall apart or they drop one or two games that most people thought that they would have win. I want to see how this team finishes. I think they're primed up. I think the bye week came at a very important time for them to get, you know, everything kind of sort of lined up and see where they are and, and sort of refocus um, their, their agenda for the, you know, the upcoming weeks. Um, but now I want to see how they finish. Um, one, most notably against this game against Oregon State, I don't think they're going to have much of a problem. They should take care of business. But at the same point, don't under, underestimate the Beavers and don't take them lightly. 
lightly uh, because if they beat you, then you're going to be sitting there licking your wounds like, what happened? Were we overlooking whatever, whatever happens? That's the biggest thing that I worry about for the Utes. So you're watching some of these teams progress here. Are we missing a, a Cinderella out there somewhere who we didn't? I mean, if we're talking Utah and Oregon, well, there were pretty high expectations for them. Utah, right. Oregon, and Washington were the three teams that split the votes to win the conference. Right. But is there someone like an Arizona State, uh, a Washington State that's off to a bad start, an ASU that's starting a young quarterback that could put together a Cinderella season? Maybe Arizona having won two conference games, although admittedly two teams we thought were in the bottom third of the conference. Yeah, I don't know if there's necessarily a Cinderella in this conference. I think there's potential for anyone to rise up. For example, you're not going to have Oregon State come out of the depths and all of a sudden be gangbusters in, in the north. And I, also, I think the same thing about Arizona. I think you've seen some gritty play and some luck that would fall in the way of you know teams like A-State and Colorado here and there. But I don't really think there's a Cinderella that stands out to me like, oh, you know what, be on the lookout because this team is getting better as the week goes on. But yet, going back to what you said about having the two good teams play each other in the conference, I yeah. think the best shot for that in terms of getting some national respect right now, and maybe it changes, but just based on what I've seen so far, and we still have a, a fairly long way to go, I think for your goal to be accomplished, I think we've got to see Oregon versus Utah. I think that's the best matchup for the conference to get the biggest bang for the buck. Maybe ASU if they found a way to run the table, but I don't think that's likely just because of the the amount of attention that Herm Edwards always seems to bring is just off the charts. But I'm thinking it's got to be Oregon and Utah. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. My only thing is that whoever comes out of that game Whoever comes out and represents a Pac-12 champion, that when they get in the bowl game, they handle the business and they're competitive, whomever they're playing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's, that, that's been a knock on these guys as a conference. That's exactly that right. So, so, you know, like Washington in the Rose Bowl last year, or, or, you know, I'm, I'm speaking most specifically of the Huskies over the last couple of years. They played in the Rose Bowl. They played in the Fiesta Bowl. They played in the Peach Bowl. Those were all losses. Yeah. You see, you, you can't hold your conference up with high esteem if you can't win your bowl games because that's when you have the most national attention. And so even, even if I'm out here, and I believe conference championships are a high value. So if we get into an ultimate playoff system, I believe every conference champion should be represented like it is in bas- basketball. I don't care of the record. If you win your conference, you've done something. So I believe that you should have a chance to play for a national title. With that being said, if I'm going to sit there and yell about conference championships, if you get out in a bowl game and you wet yourself or you get beat down like there's no tomorrow, where's the argument there? Lincoln Kennedy joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to get back to what you said about teams that kind of uh, can roll over on the coach. You told the story about, you know, when you were a writer and Bill Callahan and guys said, I'm done. Is that what's going on at UCLA? Because I watched the start of that Oregon State game. I had to edit the highlights for our Saturday night show, so that's the thing I'm watching. And to have 21 nothing after six minutes and one second. And, you know, Chip Kelly was part of the problem. He went for it on fourth down at his own, like, 35 or 40, and they gave the ball up. So that was part of it. But that's UCLA, come on. You're not good, and I've accepted that. But you're not that bad that Oregon State, who's been the worst team in the conference, can light you up like a Christmas tree and then continue to score throughout the game. Have they just rolled over on him? The level of consistency that you have, especially with young players, I, I've said this in a, in a number of interviews that I've done, I think in the future UCLA, with the people they have on their roster, 
freshmen and sophomores can be good once they learn how to play with one another. That being said, you've seen how you know they could take Wazoo and put up basically a basketball score. Um, they get a lot of attention, and all of a sudden they start reading their press and fill themselves. But they're still not really that good. They're, they're not complete with their offensive and defensive philosophies. Um, I don't think that they're rolling over, but I will say this, and we talked about this before, guys. I think there is a, uh, there is a lot of speculation in L.A. about Urban Meyer, and I think that goes for both L.A. schools. Um, what, from what the grumblings that I've heard, I've heard that Chip Kelly's not necessarily happy at UCLA, that he's looking for bigger things. Um, and I've also heard that both schools are trying to court Urban Meyer to possibly coming back and representing, most notably SC. I don't know how much that is. These are just rumors and speculations that I've heard. So I don't know how much, how, how true the true they are. But I do understand if I heard them and I live in Phoenix and I travel all over the country, you can imagine what the kids in LA have heard. So when you answer, ask the question, have they given up on him? If you, if you suspect that your coach is not going to be around, especially the coach who probably recruited you, uh, because we're talking about freshmen and sophomores, the younger guys, then why wouldn't you give up? Does that answer your point? Answer your question? Yes, it does. Yeah. As always, we appreciate it, Lincoln. Good to have you back stateside. <laughs> Glad to be back, guys. I appreciate my bet a lot more now. <laughs> There's Lincoln Kennedy from the Pac-12 Networks. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.